Thanks for tuning in to Stay Sharp with Razorleaf, your secret weapon for all things digital and manufacturing. In this episode, Eric Dubell and Jen Farello invited Peter Schroer, the former CEO of Aris Corporation, to join the podcast to share some insights about the state of PLM now that Peter is officially retired. Eric and Peter reflect on what has changed in PLM, and more interestingly, what hasn't changed since he founded Aris more than two decades ago. While acronyms and technology have evolved to embrace new thinking, the common business problems remain the same. Peter shares his candid insights on what he thinks is the real issue underlying PLM adoption in manufacturing. Tune in with Eric, Peter, and Jen to hear some of the hard truths about PLM today. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Stay Sharp. This is the podcast where we talk about all things related to digital products and manufacturing. And today we're taking a look at where our industry is headed. And by that, I mean the digital manufacturing industry as a whole. Those of us who are actually doing the digital manufacturing and the rest of us who are supporting them with tools and services, et cetera. Uh, I would like to welcome both uh, my CEO, Eric Dubell, as well as our special guest, Peter Schroer. Peter, if you haven't met him yet, is the founder of Aris Corporation. And although he has recently retired from primary action, brings a wealth of knowledge and experience in PLM and the technologies driving innovation in product manufacturing to our humble podcast. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about Aris, why you started Aris in the beginning. Oh, sure. So um, we'll start with the important thing. I'm, I'm an engineer. And uh, we started Eris in uh, January of 2000. Uh, the intention, uh, having been in the PLM industry for years before that and two previous companies, just realized that, that PLM was difficult to do. And, and frankly, as, as an industry, we, we just weren't doing it right. So we, we came to this with some fresh ideas, particularly around making PLM more flexible um, you know, I remember, so I, I came from eight years of working on a factory floor at Data General. I've been in, in, in R&D and research at IBM and Data General. Uh, I, I, I came with some strong opinions on what, what we really needed to you know, manage the digital transformation of both design and manufacturing. So, yeah, founded Eris in 2000. I uh, had the opportunity to retire in uh, 2021. Yeah, so the October 21, I retired. Uh, still very active there. I'm on the board of Eris, um, but I'm frankly not no no operating responsibility, and I'm using some of my free time to spend with uh, startups in the in in adjacencies to the PLM market. So that's kind of fun, but to definitely not 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 planning to start another company, and uh, no operating roles for me. <laughs> so. You've uh, you've kind of addressed this already, Peter, but uh, I know I was kind of curious. I'm sure a lot of others are. Is how retired are you after having seen you work for 20 years and the things you've done? How retired are you? I, I would say I'm I'm actually very retired and I'm, and uh, I'm enjoying it. I've actually I heard the expression from a colleague, the uh, small R retired, and uh, that kind of fits. I'm I'm on th- I'm on a board. I'm on the board of three companies. I'm an advisor to another another three, which are kind of early stage, not even ready to um, to have a board of directors yet, or, or, or even investors. Yeah, honestly, I, I like supporting entrepreneurs that are doing interesting work. You know, not specifically PLM, but around the engineering, manufacturing, software automation space. 
So it's fun work now, not work work. It's fun work. It's fun work. And then uh, when it gets down to actually making quotas or getting the job done, I can just you know walk away and, and let the entrepreneur take the dirty work. It doesn't sound terribly retired to me. Just <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But I'm I am for sure retired. I mean, I'm not. Uh, and a lot of people ask me, "Are you going to jump in and start another one?" And I, I no plans for that. It takes a lot of energy. Yes, I, I do not miss the travel. <laughs> the, the nearly 100% travel for 20 years was just a little much. So you've been doing it a long time. You've seen a lot of different things. So what's really the most impressive digital thing you think you've seen, you know, in the real world? Actually, like, done. Yeah, actually done in the real world. Not just, like, the visions we all paint. Mm-hmm. What's the most impressive thing you've seen implemented and done? So I, I don't know if... if the, the audience knows Eris well, but we're, you know, mo- most of the PLM industry uh, starting as PDM industry, you know, very, very CAD centric. Um, you know, I, the, the, the birth of the tool is to, to manage the, the complexity of 3D file structure. And, and even today, a lot of the PLM that's being deployed is just there to manage 3D. What I got really excited about was, was watching companies take the Eris platform and use it in completely different ways. I mean, we've we've had we've had customers that have done everything from requirements management, bomb management, supplier management, all the way through. They actually built a CRM system on the platform, and uh, and even inventory management in a single instance of of Eris's PLM database. Really, really, that's on my mind. That's just really clever. Uh, it's leveraging the tool, and you know we're we're. Where some of us with our marketing hype are walking around talking about uh, digital threads, all this and that. I mean, here's 10, 15 years ago where companies had full end-to-end traceability from requirements through inventory on the shop floor, all being managed in a single single database. I mean, these guys were just, they were doing it. Now, you know, not a lot of hype. They just sat down and started to build uh, build out the solution. And to me, that's just very impressive when you, you get someone who's come very close to that idea of the single version of the truth. Yeah, we actually, uh, I think we saw a customer together that used it for uh, for quality and they maintain all of their yeah. their tolerances and, and things like that and used it for a quality system, not anything else related to standard PLM. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, the examples are endless, but they're, but they're, and they're, they're kind of what made, that, that was the joy of my heiress journey. A U.S. Army used Eris uh, for years and years uh, as to, as a tool crib, right? So you're like, okay, what's what's a tool crib got to do with PLM? Well, in in the manufacturing that they do, which was uh, cannon barrels for bunker busters and, and uh, Abrams tanks, literally every every one that they're building is different. So their manufacturing process plan, which was a huge data model of, of, and very complex different for everyone. And they're literally calling out specific serial numbers of tools that were appropriate for the work centers that they were going to build on. It's a massive configuration management problem. It, it is PLM. But, you know, you, you go to the, the average marketing department in our industry, you know, a tool crib doesn't sound like uh, that that exciting. But to me, that's just was just a great use of a, of a platform. Well, that's interesting that you point out configuration management because before I guess before PLM became the big name 15, 20 years ago, configuration management was was the industry. And and configuration management is is different, but the same. It just doesn't necessarily include the 3D 
and the engineering component. Mm. I, absolutely, and, and I think that's the, the the secret sauce that most of our industry has kind of lost sight of is this never really was just about a, a folder full of 3D CAD files. There's a, you know, configuration management is a ton of information that has to get matched to the version of the product that you're building or, or supporting out in the field. I mean, you know, you take, you use the example with the military thing. I've seen other configuration management that manages logistics for field operations for deployment of troops to, you know, <laughs> critical areas of the world. Absolutely. So, you know, you've talked a little bit about how you kind of built Eris to, because you didn't think that the standard PLM systems were doing things the right way or weren't addressing everything. You know, so over that period of time, how have you seen the tools and systems changing? Well, I'll give you my, this is like the end of career, you know, old crotchety <laughs> retired guy looking back. Why do you think, uh, why do you think we asked you on? <laughs> you know. You can't handle the truth. I, yeah, exactly. You can't handle it. <laughs> Yeah, how are the tools and systems changing? I mean, honestly, I've, I've been in I've been in manufacturing myself. I've been in design. You know, then I jumped to the the vendor side with three different PLM companies, um, including you know my including Aris to, to end my career. I mean, I've I've seen it all. I got to tell you, how are the tools and systems changing? Frankly, just not fast enough. It still astounds me. I mean, you know, up until I retired in mid mid twenty one there. I could still go visit a customer and they were suffering still with the same core engineering and manufacturing problems as when I started my career 35 years ago. We've had incremental improvements to be sure. I think there's been a lot of two steps forward, one step back kind of going, or maybe it's two steps back, one forward. But my opinion is, um, again, great place if you want to have a career in, um, in software, the digital transformation of manufacturing is still not done. And we're not getting to it fast enough. So if you're, you know, if you, you know, you want to talk about trends and, and cool stuff that's happening on this podcast, I'd love to hear it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's all happened since I retired, but frankly, when most of the, the real manufacturing companies, the hardcore guys that have, you know, automotive, aerospace, defense, high-tech electronics, places I hang out, they still have just basic configuration management problems. They, they can't distribute files. They've got almost zero security on the on the data that's in their vaults is the same problems Eric when like when you and I started our career so I have a question on that though is it in those instances is it that the tools aren't changing fast enough or is it that the people aren't implementing them fast enough or they're not changing fast enough I mean that's OCM's a real thing too yeah, well you know you're on the right track it, there's so what's the root cause here and I've you know I've got the, I've got the benefit now of, of some free time and looking backwards right? Our industry, like like all of them, right? There's there's a lot of uh, Madison Avenue. There's just there's there's a lot of hype, a lot of marketing, and frankly, the the vendors in our space, the, the bulk of them, not have not done us all a real big favor with this this kind of the myth of the out of the box solution. You know, we, you know, let's try to make PLM simple, easy to buy, easy to deploy. Frankly, the the issue is that that. No successful business. And it doesn't matter whether you're making car parts or you know airplanes or, or whatever. You can't be standing still, right? And and you know and if you seriously believe that you're going to learn best practices from an engineering software you know software company, you know you're, you're really sad, you're sadly mistaken. I mean, it's just not 
it doesn't, you can't imagine that the, that the brand X PLM system who's selling into probably 10 different vertical industries of all different size companies in different countries, and they have an out of the box solutions. That's exactly what you're supposed to be doing for your processes. So back to Jen's point, you know, is the problem the vendors or even the customers are doing it wrong? Frankly, it's a lot of both. The idea that, that PLM is a piece of software, I can buy it, going to come with best practices, and then we're done. It's a project, and when the project's done, you know, that, that part of my business is fixed. That's just a myth. PLM is more of a philosophy. It's, it's an understanding the goals of the one version of the truth database, uh, the goals of, of good, consistent con- configuration management, of having traceability, but it, it's... It's a process of continuous improvement. And uh, I've got to tell you, it, as we get through the podcast here, you're going to say, I, I've, got a, I've got a real chip on my shoulder on this out-of-the-box idea. I think the software companies have really done a disservice to the industry, the customers, with this illusion that it works. Your business has to change, right? I mean, the, the, the world I came from, and I've, I've, worked, I've worked in a lot of industries, and I've been in a lot of factory floors, and the people that are excelling and making quality products are the ones that do continuous improvement. Their data models and process models change all the time because that's how they get better. You can't lean into out of the box because you're going to you're basically that's looking backwards. And we, we really want our customers to look forward and think about having a platform that adapts to their needs and even helps them as a catalyst to change. So how much of that is, do you think, because the solutions have become so big and try to encompass everything that uh, you've got to simplify somewhere? And so you simplify and say, here's the way you do this so that as a vendor, you can provide all these various functionalities. And, you know, maybe are we trying to do too much, uh, each of the vendors, and we should instead figure out how to work with other systems, other processes that are out there? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a good point. I mean, there's PLM when we encapsulate that, that the, the, whole, the whole scope, right, is very big, complex, and very ugly. I mean, you know, enormous data models, tremendous amount of data, tons of process models and rules and, and data access security. It is complicated. Uh, and I do think the vendors should provide a starting point, right? I mean, you want to onboard people quickly, you want to get them started. I think we're, we're a lot of the industry is falling down. And, and Obviously, I don't want to. I don't want to make this a pitch for errors, but I think where where we've fallen down is is yeah, bring a solution on site to the customer and then make it god awful hard for them to change that when they have to change a workflow next week. And and the Eris idea, I, I still think is right. I, I'd love to see more companies adopting the approach, but we should be building these complex systems on low code, no code platforms that allow the customer to take full ownership of, I need to change the data model tomorrow. I don't need a busload of consultants. I just, I just grab the mouse and I change the data model. You know, and two weeks from now, you know, we've done some um, review or, or our lean processes are taking us in a direction where we want to change a workflow, grab the mouse, edit the workflow, save, and just keep going. We're making change way too difficult right now. So one of the things I think about when, when you talk about that is, and I want to ask you more about this later, but not everybody in the C-suite really understands PLM. And so (laughs) to some degree, it seems to me that vendors have to dumb down the message, simplify what it does to get that understanding, 
what CEO these days wants to buy a solution that says, well, we're going to have to customize this and, and we're going to continually have to change it? Is part of it a just a, a marketing thing to sell? I mean, I understand that your chance of really making the tool fit how you need to do to excel as a business requires process change. But how practical is some of that with the buying behaviors that exist today? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're still talking about PLM as if it, you're going out to buy a... Uh buy a CRM or buy an ERP. There's certainly, there is a software component to PLM, but just again, this retired guy's viewpoint looking back, the customers that were really, really successful, I mean, just did incredible things in in terms of uh, driving optimization in their design processes, their manufacturing, the product quality got better. They were treating PLM almost like it's an approach or a methodology or a philosophy. And I think what you're dancing around a little bit there, Eric, was CFOs, CIOs, again, a big complex job, right? And they're trying to, you want, you want to put things into buckets. And they'd love PLM to fit in a bucket like ERP does. And you know, stop me if I go a little off on a tangent here, but think about it. I mean, ERP, basically, you're, you're accounting, you're accounting, your materials management. I mean, there's, there's gap standards on accounting. There's lots of best practices documented on inventory management. There's no, there's no competitive differentiation to the way you manage inventory. Even sales processes. I mean, if you look at how, how frequently salesmen jump from company to company, right? There's nothing special about sales, right? There's no significant data model or process differences between companies at the sales level or the ERP level. So yeah, CIO or CFO, he's going to say, yeah, CEO, I can buy out of the box software for inventory management or my CRM or something, right? But the customers that I called on as part of the Eris community, engineering and manufacturing are their number one competitive difference, right? I mean, no, no one's competing by having a, you know, I can build a better plane for, than you because I, my, my accounting system is more gap. I mean, that, that doesn't even make sense, right? <laughs> but, you know, and, and I had both both Boeing and, and Airbus as customers, and I can tell you their engineering and their manufacturing practices completely different, but they both make great airplanes, right? And that differentiation was how they're winning customers, right? So, you know, kind of in my mind that the C-level has done pretty pretty bad disservice to their their companies by considering PLM a project, finite schedule, finite budget, like a CRM, I'm going to buy it, put it in. PLM is more of a mindset, more of a continuous improvement project supported by some software, which is like a catalyst to help you get there. A lot harder to put uh, some ROI around, though. Ah, very difficult to put ROI around. And and again, it's the it's you're back to sort of the typical way people buy software, right? Where they uh, you know, typical ROI analysis where I'm going to save whatever, you know. But what's interesting when I when I look at some of our, our big customers, and I won't I won't mention any names, but there's some we had two very, very large automotive customers, OEMs. Honestly, they had absolutely no diff, no difficulty justifying PLM. It was almost there was no ROI analysis done in that that buying process. Both of them had just done multi-million dollar liability settlements, of course. So that's helpful. <laughs> that was kind of helpful. So, so do, does everyone else have to wait till you know some customer liability problem, you know, customer dies, whatever, some awful, uh, before they can jump into PLM? But you know, but 
you know, how, how do you how do you put the the return, the, the 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 plus side of the equation on something like corporate liability? You know, I mean, it's difficult, and I think um, it, the typical ROI analysis ROI analysis that you see a CFO do, you know, is you, you it's going to drive you to some low end out of the box PLM system because it's it's hard to find the value in tangible terms. Um, whereas what we're talking about is compliance liability. You know, we're, we're, we're long past. I mean, I can remember the early days of PLM. We used to talk about, you know, saving an engineer 10% of the time on each project and you add it up across a thousand engineers and you could afford to buy a PLM system. You know, it wasn't real. It wasn't real. I think people have to start thinking about PLM as more strategic. It's about limiting liability. It's about compliance. Uh, and so, and it, it really is about designing and manufacturing great products. So at the end of the day, you're saying that really PLM, the system is not the important part of PLM. The system is the means to make it happen, but that PLM is a philosophy. It's a strategy. So do you think then that some of the, I guess, the marketing of the industry is starting to change a little bit? So, you know, you're hearing more about digital transformation or, you know, digitizing the organization or digital whatever, do you think that that starts to bring us closer to people thinking about these things as more of a, a philosophy as, and less of a system necessarily? Yeah, I, I'm, not, yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure who, who came up with the digital transformation term. I, I remember the last couple of years that I was at Aris, we did use that quite a bit. Uh, it was in a lot of my keynotes at, the, at, the, at our ACE conferences. I actually like that a lot. Um, digital transformation sounds to me, transformation, right? sounds more of a journey rather than an event, right? And I think that's a very healthy way of looking at this is it's, it's digital transformation is not something you buy in a box, you know, install it, and now you have a, your company successful. It is a journey of continuous improvement. It's culture change on your employees. It's tools changes. Uh, it's design process changes. Um, and that's it. I mean, that, that, that's the PLM is a philosophy of, this journey, this transformation that you're embarking on. That might be the best thing that, that the, the industry marketing has done <laughs> in the last couple of years is give us the word transformation rather than, a, you know, buy a, buy a piece of software. So now we've got the marketing side of it down. So now we just have to figure out how to make the other stuff happen, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I mean, the key thing here is, you know, one, you, you, a lot of cultural change. I mean, change management in terms of, of Helping your employees adapt to a new way of thinking about their business um, is important. And then, you know, for me, flexible platforms. I mean, it's it's you, you have to plan on continuous improvement. Your business is going to your business during transformation is going to change. Uh, you don't know where you're going to end up. And, you know, how can you pick software today that locks you into a solution that, that may not fit what you're doing in two years? That doesn't make sense. So along those lines, I, I'd like to follow up with something that you had said a little earlier. You had described a customer that used Eris in a completely different way than, you know, than for just PLM. So it wasn't so much a PLM system. It was the tool. It was, the, you know, the way that they used mm-hmm. that. You know, there's always been the debate for as long as I've been in my career as between uh, monolithic versus best in breed. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a right answer to that question? 
you know, to your point, it was it was easier for the the customer because they did they had that digital thread. It was all in the same database. Yeah. So I've thought about this, right? And and I've been on both sides of that debate throughout my career. You know, depending, you know, and and even the industry has gone through cycles where you know IT was buying big monolithic systems. SAP sold a lot of software that way, right? You know, and then the cycle would change, and, and now better have best of breeds. Each department gets the best tool. Frankly, when you step back and you look at it, it, it really is all best of breed. Uh, it just depends how big a scope you're implementing with this one software package. And I think the important thing for people to realize is there's not going to be a single system to solve all your data model, data process problems for all companies and all industries. You're always going to have a suite of tools. Now, you, you may have one application which is covering the traditional PLM footprint for you, right? And or in the case of a lot of Ares customers, they've they've blurred the lines and they're they're into inventory management or tool cribs or other crazy things. But for them, those were essential touch points in the digital thread. Right? So a tool crib, probably not useful for most companies, but for the army with what they were manufacturing and how they did it knowing which serial number of tool went to, to, to a particular job, that was their digital threat. So that, that belonged in the PLM system. I think we're, we're at a point where the scale of these platforms allows you to go a lot broader in your thinking now than, than we could 10 years ago. You know, at some point, you know, you, it was difficult to take a, uh, you know, early team center and think about managing everything in it. It just got too big. Right, too complex. But the, the, the software scales better, the, the cloud scales better. And I think with the low code, no code approach, we're really getting to where there's some flexibility. You can start to think about building big data models, but you're never going to have a single monolithic system. There's, there's going to be integrations everywhere. So you talked um, earlier about a single source of truth. So Basically, what you're saying is that single source of truth is not a single system or even a single platform now, but maybe it's the digital thread. Bingo. I think you nailed it. I mean, it's not the you know, digital thread and then maybe all the way at the end of the process, you've also got a digital twin representing instances of the product out in the field. But the single version of the truth is still the PLM goal, but not the PLM software, but the PLM as a methodology and a philosophy. It absolutely is because... Most of the problems that we see, right, quality, safety, cost, schedule issues that pop up, you know, they're all due to bad, wrong, unvalidated information. I found information in the factory. I started to use it. It turned out to be the wrong one, the wrong information for the job I'm working on, right? So the, the single source of truth is still our, what do they call it, the North Star, right? It's the direction we're headed in. But it's not a single piece of software. It's going to be a network of applications and processes and customer and, and training the employees because it is only it is really the only way we're going to solve the, the liability problems, the compliance problems, get you know cost quality schedule improvements in our product. We got to get the wrong information off the factory floor and out of the field. And that's that's having a single single place in kind of a bigger network term. But not 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 going to be a single piece of software. Well, and I like Eric. I, I like what you said there about it being the the single source of truth being the digital thread because it's that's a continuous thing. So it's not mm-hmm. it's not a starting point and, and then you branch off. It's the digital thread that lives through the life of the product. 
So that makes sense. I agree. So I've got, and this was totally off, off script, but with the advent of the cloud becoming so much more prevalent, you've got a lot of new players in the industry. You've got a lot of people covering new point solutions. And then you've got the large players trying to suck up all that space. Is there, do you think there's opportunity in the market now for new companies to do innovative things in the PLM space? Or is it, you know, have we missed that boat? No, I, I, I absolutely believe there's opportunity. I mean, think, think back, Eric, to when, when, we, when I started Eris, right? The number of people who told me I was crazy because the, the market was already, PLM was already done. <laughs> you know, PTC Siemens to sell, the market's already done. It's been defined. There's already three giant solutions available. And the answer, the answer is no. I mean, the, the, the customers need better solutions because they're, they're, their challenges keep getting tougher and tougher. There's always room for some innovation. Hype? No, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not big on hype. I'm, I'm really interested in, in, the, in the companies that I sit on the board of, highly focused on just let's build some incredibly useful software that engineers will love to use every day. No hype, no marketing, just as an engineer in XYZ industry or whatever, the, you know, your, your industrial engineer or your electrical engineer, what do you need to, to make your, your job easier to produce better product? And that's, I think there's always room for that. Do you hang out with John Herstick a lot? Because I feel like you guys would be good friends. <laughs> uh, I know Herstick super, super well. John and I, John was a, was a wonderful coach back when we started Eris. Mark Lynn and I used to talk to John all the time for advice. I can see that. I can see that. So it seems then that with some of the new stuff, it's there's opportunity for people who are very focused on on improving, you know, easily improving things for for their end customers, for the users. So maybe it's a requirements or maybe it's a better way to do bomb management, but not necessarily to build out a new, you know, 2030 Eris, but a new a new paradigm. Uh I honestly, Eric, I, I think both are possible and both are needed, right? And, and let, let, me, let me back up a little bit, right? Uh, you did pick out, I mean, uh, you know, configuration management or bomb management, requirements management, you know, all very complex tasks for the average manufacturing company to do and do well, right? I mean, these are problems that are very tough to solve. They had not all been solved well. Certainly there are, there's room for those point apps, but they, in all those three cases, though, you're, you're talking about things that must touch the digital thread. So you can't, you can't think you're going to start a company and become the world's best bomb manager and not have any great integrations because that's just not how the digital thread needs to work. I'll just, I'll just jump on my soapbox for a minute. You know, I see a lot of business plans. I see a lot of uh, ideas from entrepreneurs. I mean, I'm, my, my LinkedIn's like a magnet for you know, the, the business at the hour, I get tons of them. But a lot of these people coming at it not as, hey, I want to make bomb change management easier for the electrical engineer, for example, right? They're coming at it as a, I've got this cloud thing and it's going to be uh, really simple to deploy. And I'm like, the, end, the electrical engineer doesn't, doesn't give two hoots whether you're running on the cloud under his desk or you're on his phone. He doesn't care. He, the, 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 the quality engineer, the electrical engineer, 
the, the, the manufacturing engineer, they have a problem. They're trying to get that aircraft engine, you know, fixed and back out in the field or something. They don't care about cloud. Cloud is like a non-issue for me. I want to find solutions where we look at what an engineer's role is, what their challenges are, and how do we build tools that make their lives easier. And cloud has got nothing to do with it. It's a little bit like the plumbing in your house. You don't care how it gets here. As long as hot comes on the left and cold comes on the right. right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So anyway, I mean, that's been anybody who's been following my my ACE keynote presentations over the last 15, 20 years. That's one of my big soapboxes. It's we have to just build good software that's aligned with how engineers need to perform their work. Whether it's cloud or not means nothing to them, and, and maybe it means something to the software company, but it's uh, it's not about making engineering and manufacturing better. Right, it's just sure. an enabling technology. It's one way to just do it. So along those lines, then, looking forward, what do you think is going to be different about like the life cycle of products in, say, 10 years? How are we going to develop or build or sustain, et cetera, differently in the future than we do now? Yeah, I'll... And, and, and looking at a lot of business plans and talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, and there's, there's actually some really good ideas out there. Um, and I've distilled that down. I'm starting to, you know, what's my viewpoint of where we're going with a lot of this? If you look at the the, the career span that, that Eric and I have had, because we're roughly the same age. You know, I'm right? not that far behind you, right? <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 era, let's call this, we'll call this the 3D CAD era. Okay. Right? I mean, it, it's 3D CAD has dominated not just the kind of thought leadership, the marketing, analysts speak, and certainly driving big budgets, right? 3D, 3D CAD, running on a workstation or running on a cloud, I really don't give a hoot, same thing, right? That's been it, right? I, I believe we are moving into another era where this whole idea of... I. I Geez, I woke up in the morning. I need to design a plane. So I, you know, I, I fire up my workstation, grab my favorite 3D CAD, and I start drawing surfaces and then the structure underneath. And that's not going to be happening in the future. Um, I'm, and again, it, 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 we've, we've talked a lot about digital thread, and, and you see me coming back to that a lot, which is effectively it's just configuration management. But where that drives me to is this idea that this this whole idea of an engineer starting the designing CAD is probably wrong. And what we will see is a shift to where requirements management actually becomes that future entry point for design concept. And I think we're getting really close to where we see like AI generative and simulation kind of working together to take requirements and design, simulate, test thousands of design concepts, you know, while that engineer is just out getting coffee. You know, now, I, I, I think that's where we're going. I think we've got a long ways to go. Um, I mean, if you think about state of the art right now, you know, engineers still lose 3D CAD files, and that's after decades of, you know, Eris and Team Center and Windchill. I mean, it's just, and Novia, I mean, they have a lot of solutions and they still lose their CAD files. We start creating CAD configurations at like a thousand times the rate. Um, we're, we, we, there's going to be some challenges. <laughs> I would think so. But, but I think that's, that is the direction. I mean, so Eric brought that up near the beginning of our discussion, uh, requirements management. Um, 
not done well today, but if you think about it, that that's the real design capture is what is the intent of my product, you know, and the, the, the parameters that it needs to operate within. And that might be the place where we start to see some more innovation soon. That'll be interesting because, it, I mean, this the CEO and owner of the first company I worked at, which was ITI, his name was Jack Lemon, not the, not to be confused with the actor, um, had also started... Yeah, had started SDRC, and his mantra back then was always analysis leads design. Yes. So now, like thirty-five years later, we're getting close where we can potentially envision that. And and I think that's unfortunately that's been sort of you know the the IT hardware, cloud infrastructure, even some of the sophistication on the software tools wasn't there thirty years sure. ago. Wasn't possible. But he, but he had absolutely the right idea. Yeah. So one of the things you're kind of talking about is really another acronym we want to throw into it is, you know, model-based enterprise. Really, you're talking about functional modeling as opposed to, you know, starting with the design. You want to start with the outcome and, and develop from there. Right? I mean, that's basically what you're saying? Absolutely. So uh, the, the model-based engineering or the model-based enterprise is exactly the right direction. I think it's been hijacked a little bit as a way to sell more 3D CAD licenses in the short term, which, you know, it's, I think, a great idea, been hijacked. It'll resurrect as kind of the market gets a little more sanity to it. Um, The the total focus on 3D CAD has been absolutely wrong. 3D CAD is, is honestly, it's not the whole product record. There's electronic software or manufacturing process information that are elsewhere. MBE has to be aligned with that single source of the truth, that, that nebulous big database, right? That is the model. And it has to start with requirements. Yeah. Well, MBE is a harder problem, as hard as 3D CAD was. MBE and functional modeling and the education is, is a harder problem. And 3D CAD is a necessary and important step to allow things to be digitized, but it's not the only step. Right, and CAD is and CAD is not the only model. Yeah, you know, to your point. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I think I think this is the you know we're 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 coming up on a new era here of design. This this you know the the the, the dinosaurs and and then three D CAD and now there's something coming, and it's going to be big data, right? I mean, it's just an enormous amount of information in a complex configuration that has to be managed well. So out of curiosity, as there, as you're going out of the digital manufacturing industry, ostensibly, what advice would you give to somebody that's just starting their career in this industry? Uh, yeah, so, you know, it, 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 like at this at this point, do you look back and you say, oh my God, do not go into digital manufacturing? Or, <laughs> yeah, like don't. That's what you're going to, don't, no, don't, don't do don't. that. <laughs> no, actually just the opposite. And, and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled uh, working with the entrepreneurs that I'm working with in this space because it is still very exciting. We're at the beginning of an era. I think there's a great opportunity. I think, frankly, we need to be encouraging this next generation, right? I mean, absolutely learn to code, right? Do not, you know, you want to, you don't, you don't have to be a great coder, but know enough about coding software architectures, right? So you don't become a victim to some of the hype trends that are going on. You know, cloud's going to change everything. You know, I, I, it, 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 it's just, it's not, it's not, it's nonsense, right? It, but it's, we, we need to teach this next generation, uh, you know, to be a good educated consumer, 
of, of this PLM philosophy. And then, oh my God, the opportunities here are huge, absolutely huge. There's the problem has not been solved yet, and the world, and the problem sets even changing, right? This sort of this next next era kind of idea. So, you know, you talked before. Um, I, I guess you said this a bunch that basically, to succeed going forward, you think that there needs to be a disruption in, you know, in the industry. What do you? What is that disruption? What what triggers that disruption any more than what's already underway? As much as Eris was considered a disruptor of the PLM space, I mean, frankly, what we did was very incremental, and still they are. They, Eris is still incrementally continuing to innovate and and uh, really leaning in hard to that low code platform idea, where we want the the PLM system or the software system of the basis of the system of record. We want that to be able to evolve even daily as the business needs change. I think you know, but that's. That was maybe a little disruptive when we started. I think the open source was a little disruptive when we started. Um, but if you look now, looking backwards at it, you know these were all incremental changes, and I I think that's actually how we move forward. It's going there's going to be we're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and realize that AI has killed 3D CAD. I mean, it's just it's not going to happen. But AI and generative will. You know, working with like I know the, the Ansys guys do some crazy stuff with simulation and generative, and this is going to incrementally find itself into the, the design process. Uh, and one of the things I'm I'm encouraging my uh, my portfolio of these, these startups to to never forget about manufacturing. Right, this is not just about you know the next generation of design. Um, and then drop it off or throw it over the wall right into manufacturing. We got to be thinking about how this plays out kind of through the whole product lifecycle. Yeah, I mean, great, great opportunity. I think it will be incremental, which again leads itself to, you know, lots of room for, you know, uh, aggressive entrepreneurs, innovators to to add their two cents to this journey. I think that's a, I like what you just said about um, not forgetting about manufacturing. Because I think that's one thing that PLM actually did do to design is tie it to manufacturing. The whole throat over the wall thing has been around for a really long time. And that used to be a much bigger problem than it is now, because I feel like PLM has at least linked the various functions together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, well, I think this has been, I want to be cognizant of our time and we always try to keep these podcasts to, you know, roughly the same amount. So I do want to thank you very much for joining us today and taking a look at kind of the PLM industry as a whole and some of the things that's, you know, in the past, in the future, what we see happening. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, great, great to catch up with both of you, Jen and Eric. This, this was fun. And remind our listeners, um, you know, if there's anything that we didn't discuss today that you have questions for Eric or I or even Peter, we can certainly forward those along. If there's anything we haven't talked about on this podcast as far as a topic that you'd like us to delve into, please reach out, let us know, be part of the conversation. And until the next time, stay sharp. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stay Sharp with the Razor Leaf. We are excited to be part of ushering in a new year with you in 2024. If you have any questions or comments for our podcast team or have an idea for a new topic for our team to cover this year, please send an email to podcast at razorleaf.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, stay sharp.